Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the Prime Minister announces more aid for Ukraine during a surprise visit to Kiev. More military assistance, drone cameras, satellite imagery, small arms, ammunition and other supports including funding for demining operations. The Canadian flag is raised at Canada's embassy in Ukraine. Our goal is to make sure that we return a diplomatic presence uh, indeed in uh, Ukraine. And former Bank of Canada Governor David Dodge calls out Pierre Poilievre for his comments against the central bank. This might be exactly what Pierre Poilievre was hoping for because it, it feeds his narrative, which is I'm here to do battle against, you know, the people who think they know better. Uh, the elites in Ottawa, uh, he said before, if you think I'm, uh, I'm not prepared to ruffle the feathers of, uh, you know, the heads of those institutions, uh, you're wrong. It's Monday, May the 9th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Peter Van Dusen, CPAC's executive producer and the host of Primetime Politics. Good morning, Peter. Hi again, Mark. So let's talk about the Prime Minister's visit to Ukraine. A lot of people had been saying it was time for him to make that trip. He went with the Deputy Prime Minister, Christia Freeland, and the Foreign Affairs Minister, Melanie Jolie. And there was a lot of symbolism and a lot of support being shown. Um, so let's talk about that that trip that obviously, for for very clear reasons, was not announced in advance. But um, but word broke yesterday when when the Prime Minister was there. Right. There's sort of two tracks to this, Mark. There's been building pressure for uh, the last week or so in particular uh, for some sort of high-level Canadian delegation, whether it be the prime minister or senior cabinet ministers, given the fact that so many uh, leaders from, in particular, European countries, but a high-level delegation from uh, the United States, the uh, Secretary of State, the Minister of Defense, the uh, Secretary of Defense in the U.S., they were all there. Um, uh, delegations from many other countries, uh, you know, the head of the United Nations, uh, all of them had shown up. So building pressure on uh, Canada to send, you know, for the prime minister either to go or for a high-level delegation to go. In this context, uh, Mark, you know, there's limits to what Canada has been able to do. Canadians are all are familiar with that. Uh, limits on the ability of military aid, we can say, although we're stepping up that contribution, $500 million uh, in, in the budget set aside for more uh, weapons for Ukraine and e- even more money announced on the weekend uh, by Justin Trudeau. But uh, it, it, those contributions you know, pale mostly compared to what uh, other countries are, are contributing and are able uh, to contribute. So, you know, Canada's uh, uh, inability to, uh, to sort of... Uh, push too much on the military side uh, towards Ukraine, uh, there has to be a way to offset that. So Canada is trying to take a leading role in on the prosecution side at the criminal court, trying to say that Canada will be the country that will lead the charge to hold Russia to account uh, in terms of some of the, uh, the crimes being committed uh, in the war against Ukraine. And then symbolism. Uh, you know, Canada has the as we know, so many Ukrainians living in this country, uh, former Ukrainians who made, you know, decided to call Canada home. And so we have a large audience in this country for the Prime Minister and everything Canada does. And there was building pressure to be seen to be there, not just supporting, you know, as one, I think, was the, the, uh, the head of Bulgaria said last week, it's one thing to uh, he, and he was in Kiev, and it's one thing to uh, provide support, but it's much different when you do it from, you know, the, your living room chair. 
And I think those kinds of comments hurt. And he wasn't talking specifically about Canada, but he was talking about world leaders who hadn't yet visited. Right. So this this was a, certainly an important symbol uh, for the prime minister and uh, you know top cabinet ministers to show up uh, to show uh, that uh, Kiev is is operating, Ukraine is operating, world leaders are coming to show their support, and Canada needed to be part of that group. And just a quick follow up, Peter, uh, before we move on to other things, uh, the the prime minister said that. Uh, it was now clear to him that heinous war crimes had been committed by Russia in Ukraine. So this is more of the same language that he's used before, but but perhaps uh, a little more definitive. Yeah, and definitive and carries a little more weight uh, when you're you're there to see it yourself. You visited, uh, you know, the city of Irpin outside of Kiev, or where some of the worst atrocities are said to have been uh, committed by the Russians. Uh, he was there with leaders in that town. He toured it. Um, so he saw firsthand uh, and heard firsthand from the people on the ground. So that carries a little more weight uh, when you said, look, I went there myself. Uh, I saw uh, some of the things that took place, not clearly uh, firsthand the war crimes, but he, I, he essentially can can make the claim that he was at uh, you know, a part of the, the visit, including uh, included gathering firsthand and, and anecdotal evidence from people on the scene about how bad things uh, had been uh, when the Russians were there and Ukrainians pushed them out. But you know, so yeah, I think it's important for him to, to be able to uh, have uh, the heft of that in-person visit to say, yeah. uh, "We are going to hold Russia to account." Uh, I know, I saw it for myself. All right, let's turn to the conservative leadership race. And in a moment, we can talk about the debate that's coming up this week. Um, But first, the former Bank of Canada Governor David Dodge was interviewed on the weekend, and he strongly disputed what leadership candidate Pierre Poilievre has said about the central bank. And in fact, he he called it BS, and he said he's very insulted by it. Um, And so I wonder, it's kind of an interesting dynamic because... On the one hand, this would would undermine perhaps Pierre Polyev's credibility, but per, maybe at the same time, in the eyes of his supporters, David Dodge is exactly the kind of person who's part of the establishment in the eyes of, of Polyev's supporters that that Polyev is taking on with his campaign and his message. Yeah, it's hard to hard to know the impact of uh, of you know a fight between David Dodge and, and Pierre Polyev. Uh, David Dodge is passionate. Uh, mark about the role of the, of the Bank of Canada. He was the governor there, of course, from 2001 to 2008. Um, you, you know, he, 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 in fact, made a, you know, a, a sortie to defend uh, the institution that, that uh, he led uh, for those seven years and the role it plays in determining, you know, uh, leading monetary policy in this country at a very, very difficult time. Um, but to your point, yeah, this is this might be exactly what Pierre Polyev was hoping for because it it feeds his narrative, which is I'm here to do battle against you know the people who think they know better, uh, the elites in Ottawa. Uh, he said before, if you think I'm uh, I'm not prepared to ruffle the feathers of uh, you know the heads of those institutions, uh, you're wrong. Uh, you know, just watch the way the campaign plays out. You know, the next thing to watch for, I guess, is where the audience comes down on this. Uh, Pierre Polyev supporters will, will like this. I think what I'm watching for is to see what is this, is this sort of, uh, you know, is this sort of conflict 
builds sort of momentum and steam, uh, you know, the, the conflict being Pierre Polyev versus Canadian institutions, where do other candidates on that stage uh, when they have these debates or during the campaign, where do they come down? Are they too nervous to take on Pierre Polyev over uh, his attacks on these institutions or will, will somebody break ranks and stand up and say, look, enough attacking the things that uh, are, are in many ways the, you know, the backbone of the uh, Canadian economic supports and the role the bank has played during the pandemic and the role the bank plays in trying to wrestle inflation yeah. down to that 2% level. So uh, I'll be interested to see whether this just continues to be Pierre Polyev versus the institutions or whether at some point it works its way into the race where people really start picking fights. Other candidates start uh, taking on Pierre Polyev, in fact, in defense of the Bank of Canada and perhaps other institutions. Yeah, and it's it'll be interesting to see if that's the side somebody wants to be on in in this particular right, exactly, um, exactly, or whether they they just let it go along. But as as long as as long as uh, Pierre Polyev holds that ground, there's a we know there's a significant audience inside the Conservative Party, uh, Pierre Polyev supporters, who uh, want to see that, and they think Pierre Polyev is the guy to straighten it all out, uh, even though. A lot of the experts say his attacks on the, on the bank aren't warranted. His understanding of monetary policy is not as sophisticated as it, as it should be, and he, of course, rejects all of that. Uh, but, you know, that, what will the other candidates do uh, as this conflict continues? All right. What about the debates on uh, the debate on Wednesday night, Peter? Yep. Uh, we saw one last week. Patrick Brown wasn't there, but the other five candidates were. What do you expect from this week's debate? I'm not sure what to expect. I know what I'll be watching for, and that'll be whether we get a repeat of uh, the debate last week, which was a lot of personal attacks, uh, not so much on policy. It was all about, uh, you know, uh, whether Jean Charest is is a real conservative, uh, how much money he got from Huawei, uh, Jean Charest attacking Pierre Polyev about whether he's ready to ready to lead. And the arguments he makes, you know, accusing him of being, you know, the, the, trying to turn the debate stage into a high school debate. So, do they get down to policy, or do do the personal attacks continue? And I think it's really interesting to watch what's happening within the party, but not within the race. Uh, Peter McKay still holds a lot of sway inside that party, with progressive conservatives in particular. He's warning against the personal attacks and the damage it will do to the wider electability of the party. Forget the leadership race. Somebody's going to win that. But who can win the country? Uh, or are conservatives consigned to opposition for a fourth election? That's the alarm bell he's sounding, is that you've you got to watch the way you deal with each other because people want to see leaders in making on the stage, prime ministers in making, not people fighting over just the leadership of the conservative party. Also, uh, a concern echoed by you know, Alberta Premier Jason Kenney saying, you know, we have to stop the personal attacks. We have to watch uh, how intense the attacks on each other get in a leadership race because that might turn off a whole lot of Canadians outside the party when it comes election time. Having said that, Mark, uh, the other thing to remember is the Liberal NDP deal in the House of Commons tells us if it holds up, we won't have an election for three years. That's a long time after September 10th when the Conservative leader will be elected. It's a lot of runway for that leader to change an image, refine an image, uh, reach out to the public in a different way, uh, knowing there's no election on the immediate horizon this fall. Yeah. I think there have been a lot of cases in, in Canadian history where there's 
been this expectation that people's memories will be long uh, and then they don't end up something else just becomes the issue upon which an election is fought not the thing you thought it would be a year or two ago so maybe very true yeah very true all right peter thanks so much for joining us today always a pleasure mark take care that's cpac's peter van dusen putin and his accomplices will fail ukraine will prevail slava ukraine Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the National Post, Adam Zivo argues Justin Trudeau's visit to Ukraine was perfectly timed. He writes, If Vladimir Putin is considering escalating this war, Trudeau's bold show of support, visiting Kiev right on the cusp of Russia's Victory Day celebrations, may serve as a reminder that liberal democracies are united against Russian aggression. If that can deter, even by some small iota, the possibility of escalation, that is enough. I feel deep gratitude for Mr. Trudeau's visit, especially because I doubt that his team was unaware of the significance of this weekend and the associated risks. In the Hamilton Spectator, Tony Lopresti considers Putin's deadly dream of an empire. Lopresti writes... Putin realizes that he has blundered in starting a war against Ukraine. Instead of the war bringing him victory and political respect, it has brought only sanctions and global infamy and condemnation. His options are limited. Win some kind of victory or cut bait and lose face. The latter option is not in his DNA and raises the peril that he may decide to use biological or nuclear weapons to win. Whatever happens... The havoc that Putin has wrecked and the blood spilled on both sides of this war is on his hands, and history books will consign him to the dung heap of political villains and war criminals. In the Toronto Star, Robin Sears asks if an abortion election is looming in Canada. Sears writes, In Canada, we feel secure about the right to choose, Despite the increasing vitriol of a small minority of anti-abortion activists, every prime minister since Brian Mulroney has made it clear that banning abortion is an absolute no-go. However, the anti-abortionists are now very well-funded, have growing influence in the Conservative Party, and receive many times the media coverage they merit. They might force a Conservative leadership frontrunner to agree to legislate against abortion in return for their second ballot support. Now, here's what's coming up on today's political agenda. Innovation Minister François-Philippe Champagne is traveling to Germany and Belgium for the G7 Digital Ministers meeting and to meet with his international counterparts to promote Canada as an economic partner. Justice Minister David Lametti and Immigration Minister Sean Fraser will make a funding announcement regarding support for victims of crime in Nova Scotia. The Senate Committee on Official Languages will hear from Immigration Minister Sean Fraser as part of its study on matters relating to Francophone immigration to minority communities. And to mark the 20th anniversary since the Government of Canada officially declared May as Asian Heritage Month, Diversity and Inclusion Minister Ahmed Hussein will host an in-person reception at the National Arts Centre in Ottawa. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Monday, May the 9th. Tune into Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.